God, ruler of the universe. Lord, we are so thankful for your great love for us down through the ages. Thank you, the everlasting God that does not change. And we ask, Lord, that you would pour out upon us your spirit, just as you have in times past. Enlighten our minds and draw us ever into your presence. In Yeshua's holy name, amen. Our topic tonight out of Amos, Prophet Amos, part three. We'll be looking at chapter six and seven from the book of Amos. Chapter 6, verse 1, Woe to you who are at ease in Zion and trust in Mount Samaria. And that's kind of interesting. You're in Zion, but you're trusting in Mount Samaria. Now, Mount Samaria, uh, as we, we see uh, when Yeshua is in Samaria and he meets a lady at a well, and, uh, and she refers to Mount Samaria. She says, we worship, referring to her, and the Samaritans worship on this mountain, but but you Jews referring to Yeshua and, and the other Jewish people worship on Mount Zion or, or the Temple Mount. And, uh, and so this is the same reference here going all the way back to the time of Amos. It's interesting, he says, woe to you who are at ease in Zion. So he's not just referring to the Samaritans here. He's, he's not just referring to the world here. He's referring to those who should know better, those who are part of Zion or should be a part of Zion or professing to be a part of Zion professing to be God's children, and yet are trusting not in the Lord, but trusting in superstition or their own man-made uh, places or their own man-made things or their own man-made religious uh, routines, trusting in the things of this world that they themselves have made up, not that God has ordained or not that God's word has ordained. So we're trusting in the things of this world, man-made traditions, man-made solutions, instead of trusting in the Lord God Almighty and the plan and, the, and, the, and His word and following His directions that He has laid out for us. So that's a pretty heavy woe to begin with. He starts off, he kind of you know, starts this chapter just, just hitting it straight. And woe to you who put far off the day of doom who caused the seat of violence to come near. So verse 3, another woe. And you're putting off the day of doom. You're putting off the day of judgment. As it says in, in, in I believe it's 2 Peter, 1 Peter, I think it's 2 Peter, uh, where he says those who will say, oh, it's, it's, it's as it always has been, and that the day of the Lord will not come. Putting it off and putting it off and putting it off putting off the day of doom, but yet who cause the seed of violence to come near. So they're putting off the Lord's coming, they're putting off the day of judgment from God, but by doing so and denying the power of God and denying the work of God, and denying the nearness of His coming, denying the fear of the Lord that should wake us up and, and straighten us out, we're inviting violence to come near. We're inviting trouble to come near. As we are ignoring God, setting up our own ways, we're just asking for trouble. Sowing to the wind and then work reaping the results of that, reaping the whirlwind that comes as a result of those seeds. And so we're, we're putting off God's coming. And I think it's getting plainer and plainer. I mean, things are happening so rapid. I mean, every single day. I, mean, I was thinking today, just reading some things on the news, it's like, what on earth is 
this world coming to? And the answer was, it's coming to the end, <laughs> you know, very clearly. Um, but then you just kind of read it and, and uh, I thought, well, you know, nothing I can do about it. This stuff is just happening and happening and happening. And the world powers that are in a position to do something about it aren't doing anything about it. And we just sit tight, hold on, and roll with the roller coaster at this point. And we're getting closer and closer to this day of judgment, this day of doom, the great and dreadful day of the Lord as the prophet Malachi describes it. And yet we're putting it off as society and just denying it's even coming. Living as if there is no tomorrow. And just continuing on as if it's never going to end. But this world is going to come to an end. And the violence that we're inviting is getting even more intense at every moment. You who lie on beds of ivory, who sing idly to the stringed instruments, who drink wine from bowls and anoint yourself with the best ointments, but are not grieved for the affliction of Joseph. Pretty apt description of the Laodicean state that we're in. Just laid back, no problem, no, you know, just, just plenty and rich and increased it with goods and feeling no need of anything. And yet we're inviting violence and putting off the day of judgment. Because, hey, we're on beds of ivory. We've got it comfortable here. We got, uh, you know, memory foam mattresses, all kinds of things, you know, we've got it easy. We got beautiful sounds and instruments and iPads and iPods and all kinds of musical devices that we can listen to all day long, 24-7, in the car, walking, working, everywhere and anywhere. We got our earbuds in, listening to the instruments, drinking from fancy bowls, whatever we want, whenever we want, anointing ourselves, making ourselves smell so pretty and look so nice. And we're not grieved with the afflictions that are taking place in this world. It hasn't touched home yet. We read it over far, but we're not afflicted with their affliction. We're not carrying the burden in our hearts and minds. Woe to us by putting off the day of judgment and inviting the violence. Verse 7, they shall go captive. The Lord God has sworn by himself, the Lord God of hosts says, I abhor the pride of Jacob, and I hate his palaces. I will deliver up the city and all that is in it. He's not going to put up with this. He's not going to put up with our living for selfish gain and hoarding our wealth for ourselves and not caring for others and not caring about others, and not having God's heart and God's burden. We'll go into captivity. Amos is warning. Towards the end here, historically, it's towards the end of northern Israel. Still another 80 years or so left. God's giving his mercy. In mercy, God's giving a warning 80 years in advance. 
Verse 9, if 10 men remain in one house, they'll die. And when a relative picks up the bodies and bur to burn them, he will say, are there any more? And someone will say, none. But hold your tongue, for we dare not mention the name of the Lord. The Lord will break the great house into bits and the little houses into pieces. So big, mighty house, a strong house that has 10 men in it. They'll have none in it. Now when they go to bury them, are there any more? Don't say there's none more, just like the prophet said. Don't say none more, just like God said. So we're not even going to say there's none more because that'll be fulfilling the prophecy. That'll be acknowledging the prophecy. And we dare not acknowledge that God's word is truth. We dare not acknowledge that what God has said has come to pass. We dare not acknowledge God in anything. Even though it's plain as day. Even though the warning is coming to pass. Don't acknowledge it. Don't talk about God. Don't mention Him. Even if we can't deny the facts, we'll have to make up our own lies because we don't want to talk about God. We don't want to acknowledge His existence because if we do, we'll have to acknowledge that there is a day of doom coming. There's a day of judgment coming. There's a reckoning coming. There's going to be an account because if there is a God, He is the Almighty. He created all things. Thus, He has a right to tell us how to live and how to, and what to do, how to be. And if we don't, He's going to hold us accountable for it. So we deny Him in all ways and forms. And we make substitutes for Him with our religiosity or with our own version of taking care of the temple with new age factors and all other type of things and caring for God's planet that God placed Adam and Eve in charge of and instead we, we come up with all other kind of versions with evolutionary theories in them and part of that is because as believers in God's word, we've been neglecting to do those very things. To take care of God's temple and to teach others to take care of God's temple. To take care of God's earth and to teach other people to take care of God's earth. And so these others who are denying God are now picking up the work with their own version of it. So we make a, they deny God. And yet, put on our own facade. Or again, we deny the word of God and following his ways and we add all our own type of things onto it. Our own man-made devisings, our own man-made celebrations. We add those in to give us a feeling of doing good and doing right. A form of godliness but we deny the power thereof. So don't acknowledge there is a God. Don't talk, don't mention the name of the Lord. And then now, of course, there's a big push going on to, to get it out of even government officials that shouldn't even be able to name God. Even if they believe in God. Verse 12, since chapter chapter 6 still, do horses run on rocks? Does one plow 
there with oxen in the rocks. Yet you have turned justice into gall and the fruit of righteousness into wormwood. You've turned everything upside down. We're doing the craziest thing, riding horses on top of rocks and trying to plow through rocks with our oxen. We've turned God's justice into gall, into vinegar bitterness. And the fruit of righteousness, God's righteousness, the fruits of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, goodness, kindness, self-control. And we turn it into wormwood. We take the beautiful symbol of the rainbow that God placed in the sky to remind us that he judged the world once and that he'll judge the world again. We take it and we make it a symbol of wormwood. We make it a symbol of sin. Turn everything upside down. The beautiful places of this earth, the beautiful beaches, uh, the beautiful locations, Key West, Hawaii, San Francisco, all these places on the water, all these wonderful places and beautiful sites have become places of corruption and of sin. turning everything upside down. Denying God's justice. Replacing it with a man-made form of justice. Instead of having proper balance of, of law and grace, we deny the justice part of it. The judgment part of it. We teach a lukewarm, cheap grace. Sowing the seeds again of the wind and then reaping the whirlwind thereof. Denying God's power to totally transform our lives and to bring us totally into harmony with his word, to give us victory over sin, total cleansing of our heart by taking our carnal nature and nailing it into God himself, into the Messiah so that our sinful nature can be removed, denying the true power of the Holy Spirit to come inside us and to transform us and to give us full victory. Instead, we pass off a lukewarm form, cheap form, denying justice and denying true righteousness. Just try to be good and just do as good as you can. It doesn't matter because God is so forgiving anyway. So it really doesn't matter. We turn justice upside down and the fruit of righteousness upside down. Our man-made righteousness instead of the fruits of God's righteousness, the fruit of the Spirit, the fruit of the Holy Spirit living in us, living out lives after God's character because God becomes living in us, transforming us filling us with his attributes and living them in us and out of us. Instead of receiving God's Holy Spirit and the fruits that come with that, we turned it into wormwood, filthy rags of righteousness. And denying the day of justice. And instead of holding people to account for justice here today, we let them off the hook. 
police hate getting involved in marital disputes, as well as congregational thefts and problems. Because they know that the spouse most often will say, well, after they risk their lives to go and save the damsel in distress. So invite the guy back in again. And the congregation will be forgiving and give the person the pulpit again or whatever again. Turn justice upside down. Turn true justice into gall. Not understanding biblical forgiveness and biblical justice. And God's expectation of true righteousness. Not in our own strength, not in our own power, but the fruit of the Holy Spirit of righteousness. Verse 13. You who rejoice over low debar, basically nothing, you rejoice over nothing. Who say we have, have we not taken karanim, strength, mightiness, power, for ourselves by our own strength? But I will raise up a nation against you, O house of Israel, says the Lord God of hosts. They will afflict you from the entrance of Hamath to the valley of Arba. Now you remember a few weeks ago we saw that those were the, the location that, that the Bible told us that Jeroboam, the king of Israel at this time when Amos is prophesying, that he conquered this massive territory, expanding the, the, the nation of Israel, basically doubling the size of the nation of Israel. And God, through Amos here, is saying, you're rejoicing over nothing, really. You're saying, oh, we're so strong, look at it, in our strength in our might, in our power, in our cunning, in our wisdom, and in our mighty army. We have conquered these mighty things. Look, at we've expanded our territory. God says he's going to raise up another nation that's going to take away all of that. It's not by our own might, not by our own power, but by God's spirit, saith the Lord, that we gain victory. Everything that we are able to do, any good thing that comes out of us, is only because God did it through us. We are nothing. Without him, we can do nothing. But through him, we can do all things. Through Yeshua the Messiah, who strengthens us. Turned it upside down here too. They said, we've we're rejoicing in nothing and pride that we have our own strength. Rabbi Paul said, when I am weak, then I am strong. When I realize how weak I am, when I realize how without strength I am, then that causes me to rely on a power greater than I. And that's when I'm really strong. I'm relying on God's strength, on God's power on God's might, and then giving him the honor and glory because we realize that we could not have done it without him. That everything that we have, everything that we do, is only because God gives us the ability to do it. We can't even breathe in our own strength. That can be taken away from us. We owe every breath, every thought to God. So everything we have, 
And everything we've ever had and everything we will ever have is only because of God's love, God's mercy, God's goodness, God's gift to us. Mm. Nothing we can take on to ourselves. Nothing we can say, I accomplished this, I did this. When we get to heaven, someone asks us, how did you get here? We're not going to be able to say, well, I did this. We can't even say, because I believed. We don't have the ability to believe. It's God who gives us the ability to believe. We can't say, because I repented. Repentance is a gift that comes from God. So even that comes from God. He gives to each person a measure of faith. He gives to each person a measure of belief. So that comes from God. It all comes from God. We'll say, we are here because of God because of what he did for us in sending his son and taking our place and giving us his righteousness. Not just as a formality, but in reality. Not just externally, but internally as well. So everything we've amassed can be gone in a moment. Now to chapter 7, verse 1. The Lord God showed me, behold, he formed locust swarms at the beginning of the late crop. And when they finished eating the grass of the land, I said, oh, Lord God, forgive, I pray. Oh, that Jacob may stand, for he is small. So the Lord relented concerning this. It shall not be, said the Lord. Verse 4. The Lord God called for conflict by fire, and it consumed the great deep, and it devoured the territory. And I said, O Lord God, cease, I pray. Oh, that Jacob may stand, for he is small. So the Lord relented concerning this. This also shall not be, said the Lord God. In these two slides, these four or so verses, we see the power of intercessory prayer. God had decided, God had decreed, he was going to do this, and because of one man standing in the breach between the disaster and God, and pleading on the behalf of the people, not claiming their righteousness, not claiming any goodness, not because of any good thing they had done, but cease I pray. Praying for them. God is looking for a people that will pray for this world. That will pray for the lost. That will pray for their enemies. that will intercede as Moses interceded, as David interceded, praying in the gap. God is looking for faithful prayer warriors who will pray like Amos. Amos saw this, saw the horribleness, lived through it. Worse time than we're living today. And yet he prayed he had God's compassion. He had God's heart. And that's what we need. 
we can think we're righteous, we can look at how we've lived, and we can compare ourselves with other people and think we're so good. But do we truly have God's heart? Do we have a burden and a passion for those who don't know God? Are we concerned for them? Are we praying for them? Are we looking for opportunities to minister to them and to share God's love in tangible ways and spiritual ways? That's the true test of who has our heart. What are we doing in our prayers? Who are we praying for? Are we praying for ourselves? Most often, who are we praying for? Are our prayers selfish and self-serving? Or are we praying for others? We see the power of this prayer. God stops and God doesn't do what he had said he was going to do. Because one man praying, one man interceding. That's what Yeshua sent his son to do, to stand in the gap and to intercede in our behalf. And God will put off and never do what he had planned to do and what he had a right to do to each one of us because Yeshua stood in the gap for us. The wages of sin is death. That's the bottom line. But because of God's gift to us, we can receive eternal life. What we deserve is death. But because one man, Yeshua the Messiah, stood in the gap for us, we can have eternal life. And God wants to use us to stand in prayer for others. God will do, God is able to do, in answer to prayer, what he cannot do if the prayer was not prayed. If Amos did not pray, what would have happened? Fire would have come through. The locusts would have come through. But because he prayed, God was able to not do what he was going to do. God can't do what he was going to do. See, there's a battle going on. It's a battle between God and Satan. There is a devil. And God operates according to his laws. God doesn't break his own laws. He operates according to his thing, to what he has set up. And Satan can claim a right. But in answer to prayer, God can override. Satan's plans. If somebody is praying, he can override Satan's plans. Satan can have a right over someone in your life. Someone you know. Someone you love. Maybe someone you don't love. Maybe someone you hate. Maybe someone who hates you. And is living a horrible life. And they're going on the path of destruction. Fire and locust is about to take them out. And Satan has every right to do it because of their choices. But if we stand there for them and plead in their behalf, 
God then is able to say, I'm able to step in. Because I've been asked to step in. I've been invited to step in on their behalf. Not to, by the one who is going to receive the calamity, but by somebody else. Which makes it even more powerful. Someone unselfishly, a Job, praying for his children and interceding for them. And then Job's full healing comes when he prays for his uncomfortable comforters. When he prays for them, God comes in and blesses. Because God is able to do, as a result of unselfish prayer, what he could not have done otherwise. It's part of the, the great battle. Satan is the prince of this world. And so in many areas, God needs permission to come in and work. And as he has permission, because we invite him to come in, God is able to do for others what he could not have done otherwise. And he's looking for us to be praying and praying for the lost. And that's where we see the power. That's where we see David, that's where we see Moses, that's where we see Yeshua. That's where we see Abraham praying for others. And we've seen the power of that. We've seen the power of that here. You've seen it in your life, you've seen it as you prayed for others. We're seeing it in the life of Greg right now, the miracles that are taking place there. We've seen it in many other people's lives here. We've seen it, God moving and God doing the miraculous. Physically and spiritually. As we intercede and pray for others. There's power in prayer. There's so much power in prayer, it's amazing that we don't pray more often. That's why the power is we can lock into the power of heaven. By praying. God is able to open the windows of heaven and pour out such a blessing as we pray. The resources of heaven are available to us. We have not because we pray not. When we pray little, there's little power. And when we pray much, there's much power. And especially if we're praying unselfish prayers. We're praying God's prayers with God's heart and God's concern. God's not wanting to destroy. God's not wanting to bring the fire. God's not wanting to bring the locust. God's wanting a reason to be able to hold back the winds of strife. But he's needing people to stand in the gap. Because Satan has control of this world. Will we stand in the gap for them? Will we be the prayer warriors? When we take on the armor of God, and one of the armor of God, one of the tools, is all prayer. Maybe it's the most powerful one. Having all prayer. Verse 7, And the Lord stood on a wall with a plumb in it, line in his hand. It's interesting, Amos sees the Lord standing on a wall. So the Lord took on some kind of a form for Amos to be able to recognize that the Lord is standing on a wall. 
in his vision. The Lord stood on a wall with a plumb line in his hand. And the Lord said, Amos, what do you see? I said, a plumb line. And the Lord said, I am setting a plumb line in the midst of my people Israel. I will not pass by them anymore. Plumb line was used for surveying. Make a straight line, right? You hold the plumb line. The person able to make the line. Straight line. He's saying, I'm making a line between me and them. Because if I come down there, I'm a consuming fire. The high places of Isaac shall be desolate. The sanctuaries of Israel shall be laid waste. I will rise with the sword against the house of Jeroboam, the king at the time. And then the priest of Bethel sent to Jeroboam, king of Israel, saying, Amos has conspired against you in the midst of the house of Israel. The land is not able to bear all his words. Amos has said, Jeroboam shall die by the sword, and Israel shall surely be led away captive. Here's Amos praying for these people. Here's Amos, the one who prayed and the fire did not destroy them and the locust did not destroy them. And here this guy is treating Amos that way. Don't expect this because we pray for others. Just because we're filled with God's righteousness. Just because we're living by God's grace. Don't expect everybody to love us. According to the scriptures, we can expect that more will hate us. And then the priest of Bethel said to Amos, Go, seer, flee to Judah. Judah was following God. This other tribes were following God. Go flee to them. There eat bread. There prophesy. But never prophesy at Bethel, for it is the king's royal residence. Why isn't Amos prophesying down in Judah? Judah doesn't need to hear it. Judah's following God. God sends his prophets to those who aren't following God. Why? Because he loves them. That's right. God loves them. This is a demonstration of God's love. And so God sent Amos to Israel, to the northern part. He sent them to Jeroboam because he loved Jeroboam. If God didn't love Jeroboam, he wouldn't have sent Amos to go say these things. He just written them off. Just let them go. Just let them die. We see the mercy and love of God here in these warnings. And these warnings are being resisted. So they say, go down to Judah. And isn't that what we like to do? Don't we like to hang around with Judah? Don't we like to hang around with those who follow God? Don't we like to hang around those who are like us? But God sends us to those who are not following God. God doesn't want us to just become little cliques in society. He wants us to go out. We need to come together and, you know, get refreshed. But then to go out to the world and minister to those who don't know the Lord. So he's telling Amos, go down there. As Amos say, Amos said, I was no prophet, nor was I the son of a prophet. Kind of a cute line there, right? I was nothing. I was no prophet. I wasn't even the son of a prophet. There were no prophets in our family. This wasn't my choosing. I was a sheep breeder, tender of the sycamore fruit. The Lord took me as I followed the flock. I was happy. 
The Lord said to me, go prophesy to my people Israel. Saying, that's why I'm here. I'm not in this for me. I'm not in this so that I'll get applause. I'm not in this so I'll get pats on the back. I'm not here up in the northern part so that, uh, so that I'll have a big following, so I'll have a big crowd. I'm not here for the money. I'm not here for this. I was having a good time leading the sheep as a sheep breeder. It was quiet. It was easy. It was nice. God picked me up. God put me here. God called me to share God's love with you. Not down there where they're not needing to hear it at this point. God's called me here to share it with you. Hear the word of the Lord. You say, do not prophesy against Israel. But thus says the Lord, your wife shall be a harlot in the city. Your sons and daughters shall fall by the sword. Your land shall be divided. You shall die in a defiled land. Israel shall surely be led captive. Heavy words. Why? because they rejected the one whom God sent to help them. The sheep breeder, the one who breeds sheep, they rejected the one who is the good shepherd. They rejected the one who interceded in their behalf. They rejected the one who stood there in their behalf between them and the destruction And when we reject him, who can help us? God has sent the Messiah as the good shepherd to stand in our behalf. To stand between us and destruction. To take our punishment, to take our guilt, to take our sinful carnal nature. So much so that it destroys him and then to give us his righteousness and his life. But if we reject it, if we reject his sacrifice in our behalf, if we reject his intercession for us, if we reject what he's wanting to do in us and through us, then the end result is going to be calamity and heartache beyond compare. And will die in a defiled land and be led captive. So our choice tonight is to choose to follow the shepherd. To accept his intercession in our behalf. To receive his mind. He says, let this mind be in you that was in Yeshua the Messiah. Receive his mind. Allow him to remove our carnal mind. And receive his mind. Receive his heart. Receive his passion. Receive his burden. And then to follow him. In prayer for others. In interceding for others. So as we pray tonight. God's laying on your heart. Somebody who needs prayer. Maybe it's a prayer for healing. Maybe it's a prayer for help. 
Maybe it's a prayer for health. Maybe it's a prayer for need. Maybe it's a prayer for finances. Maybe it's a prayer for job. Maybe it's mental. Maybe it's physical. Maybe someone who needs to know the Lord. Maybe someone who doesn't have God's salvation. And God's calling you to pray for them. Maybe someone who's on the path of destruction. Maybe someone who's doing drugs or alcohol or living some kind of lifestyle that's just leading them in the path of destruction. From their choices, their lifestyle. God's calling you to intercede and pray for them. In a moment when we pray, you'll have an opportunity to pray for them. And we unite together in praying for them. Or maybe you've been among the ones that we read described tonight in Zion, but putting off the day of the Lord. Not working with the Lord to hasten his coming by sharing the gospel with this world, but by putting it off so we can live in pleasure, so we can live in ease, so we can sleep on our ivory beds, play our instruments, listen to our music, pop our grapes in our mouth. Living in ease keeping the funds for ourselves, spending them on ourselves, instead of putting them into the Lord's work so that the lost can be saved. Maybe we're inviting the violence by doing so. Ask God to transform your heart. Ask him to give you his heart, his desires, his life. Maybe you've turned justice upside down Maybe you've let people off the hook that shouldn't have been let off the hook. Maybe you haven't held people accountable so that they can straighten up and live right. Maybe you've put on a facade of righteousness instead of living, allowing God to live out his fruits of his righteousness in you. You were just going through the motions with a form of godliness. When we pray in another moment, you can repent of that, ask God to take that away to remove the, the mask and ask him to come inside and live inside. Maybe there's some sin in our heart and in our life. Maybe in some way, shape, or form, we're denying the one who came, the good shepherd who came to lead us beside still waters in the path of righteousness for his name's sake. There's some area you've been denying him, rejecting him, rejecting his power. Ask God to forgive you, to cleanse you, to wash you clean, and accept his mercy and his forgiveness and his power to transform. Or maybe, as they said, we've, we've conquered in our own strength. Maybe you've been proud and taken credit for things. And you want to surrender that. You want to surrender the self-boasting. Surrender before God. And acknowledge your weakness. And give him all the honor and all the glory for all things. If any of these areas apply to you, or maybe something else that God's been speaking to you tonight, as we pray together, let us commune with God and enter into God's presence. And allow God to do his work in us.
and out of us and for us. As we pray together. Our Lord and our God, King of the universe, as we enter into prayer with you, we're thankful that you are praying, that you are interceding in our behalf, that you ever make intercession for us. We thank you that you're praying with us as well. And for those of us that you've laid a burden of someone else in our minds, you've brought their name or their face to our minds, Lord, as we pray for them, we're thankful that you are already praying for them. And we are uniting with you in prayer, asking you will work in their lives and that you will meet their needs according to your riches and glory. That you will do what needs to be done in their life right now, in their behalf right now, to prepare them for heaven. Whether that means meeting a physical need right now, so that they can be open to the spiritual, or whatever it means, but work in their behalf, you know better than we do what their real needs are. Lord, those of us here needing cleansing, whether from pride or from self-righteousness or, or from our form of godliness or from our turning righteousness and judgment upside down, Lord, wash us and cleanse us. Forgive our past and straighten us and give us balance and move us in your way that our lives would be Live for your honor, for your glory, and after your pattern. Work in us and through us. May we follow you humbly and meekly. May we be used by you in being a blessing to humanity. We've been just surrounding ourselves with those who are like ourselves. Lord, you're calling us from the sheepfold to go and to minister to others. Lord, give us boldness, give us courage, give us your words, give us your spirit, and go before us and reach out to this dying world and use us so that some may be saved. In Yeshua's holy name.